Good morning, good morning. It's a joy to be with you all. Well, we're going to continue a study this morning that we've been doing the last number of weeks, uh, looking at what it means to call God Father. And one of the reasons that I want us to study this is because as Jesus teaches us what it means to relate to God and what it means to have a relationship with God, one of the primary ways that he tells us to is when we're supposed to pray, when we're supposed to engage with God, how do we pray to God? We pray by saying our Father, right? And what Jesus is doing here is actually is pretty revolutionary and pretty life-changing and world-changing and understanding that the creator of the universe, the God who is sovereign, the God who sustains all things, the God who is transcendent in many ways is a God that we can actually have an intimate relationship with and actually know and experience Him. And that's really the beauty of what it means to call God Father. And so we began to look at a, a few different things of what it means to call God Father. And primarily what we've looked at is, is sort of our, our status of what it means to call God Father. And so what are some of the things that we've learned about our status and identity in calling God Father? What is some of the language that we've used to identify ourselves? We talked about sons, right? We, we talked about how we're no longer slaves to sin and death, but now we are sons of God. And again, for you ladies, was that mean you're out of the equation? No, we, we talked about how the firstborn would be the inheritor of all things in a, in a Jewish and even a Greco-Roman culture. And so this concept that because we are sons in Christ, we are inheritors to everything. And so we're sons... And I sort of already gave a hint at the next answer. We are also heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ, which means that just as Christ went through all the suffering and, and agony of this world, we share in His sufferings, but we also share in His glory. And now we become inheritors of the kingdom of God, God making all things right, God redeeming and reconciling all of creation. And even though we as people have done nothing to deserve it because of what Christ has done, we now inherit the kingdom of God. So we're no longer slaves but sons. We're co-heirs with Christ. What are some of the other things we've learned about calling God Father? Thinking of an A word. We are adopted, right? Which means that we are now adopted into a family, which now we are part of the family of God. Not because of anything that we have done to deserve or earn the favor of the Father, but simply because of God's love and grace and mercy, He adopts us into the family of God. And all of this is to display the love of God the Father. And so, We've been looking at all these things that help us identify and understand what a relationship with God looks like. And, and primarily, again, those are aspects of identity and status. And, and what I want to do for the purposes of this morning is ask the question then, okay, if, if we are children of God, and if we have that blessing and gift of being children of God, I want to look at not only does it change our identity, but it actually changes our very perspective and purpose of life. And, and I really want to ask the question, what does it look like to live out of that identity? If we are sons, if we are the family of God, 
what is the implication for now how we live? And I want us to wrestle with this together. What, what does it look like to do this? And, and I'm going to look at a few different passages this morning. But I'm coming with the conviction this morning that for us to know God as Father means that we are a sent people. God as Father is not just in our relationship to Him and changing our identity and status, but it actually changes our entire perspective about the purpose and meaning of life. And, and Jesus calls us to be a sent people, which means we take on the very identity of what God has called us to be and to do. And so we're going to be looking at a few different passages, but uh, I want us to first of all frame this in our minds, frame how, how this is going to make sense. Well, first of all, who here has been on a sports team before? Anyone? Quite a number of you, right? Or, or maybe even if you haven't been on a sports team, who has been on a, a team of for vocation, maybe you've been on a team of coworkers and called to do a project or something. Well, I'm going to speak from the sports perspective because I played a lot of sports growing up. But what was fascinating for me is the agony and the stress and the drama of trying to make a team. Has anyone had that experience and done the tryouts? Who has done tryouts before? Right? A few of you. It's not a very enjoyable experience. But what I often found was everyone was trying as hard as they could during tryouts. Everyone's trying to prove themselves. Everyone's trying to be the best they can be, make, make an impression as much as they can. And what I found with some of the teams that I've been on, as soon as tryouts were over and, and as soon as the team was established, there was always a few guys that just started getting lazy in practice. Anyone see that? There was the mentality, okay, I've made the team now, I've put the effort in, I've accomplished my goal, and now I'm just going to coast. And I don't want to show up for practice, and I don't want to put in the hard work anymore. And it sort of changed their entire perspective on the game. Now, the only way you can change that mentality is if you as a team have a mission, have a purpose, right? If now not only you make the team, but now the team's goal is to win a championship or to win a tournament or the coach is a driving factor in pushing that vision, that's the only way you can motivate someone to the next step. Now, I bring up that analogy because here's what I see sometimes with our theology of Father. Is we as the people of God can go this route. We can say, you know what? I'm adopted into the family of God. I am a child of God. That is my identity, and I am secure in that, and now there is nothing else for me to do. Is that true, church? No, it's not true at all. And so part of a key realization for us is to push back against any amount of that mentality, this concept of God has saved me, that's it, there's nothing else that God can call me to do, because even the concept of Father goes beyond just identity, and it actually goes to our very calling. And, and so I want to walk us through some Scripture just to reveal this to us, but I'll start with some Bible trivia, and it's okay if you don't know this answer because it's actually a very difficult answer. But when in the Scripture was God first referred to as Father? Now, we've talked about the Old Testament. God's only referred to and referenced in the Old Testament 15 times, hardly at all in the story of the Old Testament, yet Jesus brings it such a highlight. 
But what is the first time in Scripture that God has referenced His Father? Does anyone know? Any guesses? The Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. Well, that's when Jesus yet highlights the concept of God as Father. You guys don't even want to guess this morning? It's okay to be wrong here. <laughs> yeah, the, how you learn is by being wrong in many things to find the right answer, right? So, Abraham. Oh, yeah, that Abraham would be a father to many nations. The concept comes in there. Yeah, but not fully. That's not God reference as father, though. Adam and Eve, that's a really good guess, Steve, because you're going back to the beginning. That's a really, but a little farther on, the Psalms, before that, Deuteronomy before that, pardon? Noah, even, think, think of a major storyline in Scripture. Let's narrow it down. No, before that. Okay, well, you guys did really good guessing, but it's all been wrong so far. <laughs> Sorry, Edith? Okay, Edith wins. Good job. <laughs> good job. The Exodus story. Now, for those of you who don't know, what, it, what is the Exodus story? Well, the Exodus story is how the people of God were taken into captivity. They were basically taken in as slaves by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh. And they lived many years under slavery, under oppression, under hardship. And, and God's call, He ultimately comes to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and He calls them and says, what's sort of the famous Sunday school line some of you heard before? Let my, let my people go. In other words, God comes to the Egyptians and He says, you have oppressed these people, you have put them into slavery, you have taken advantage of them, and He says, this will be no longer, you need to let them go. And, and out of that context, what we see is a, a beautiful reference, and this is the first reference to understanding God as Father in the Scripture, in the story of Exodus, Exodus 4, it says this, says, you shall say to Moses, and again, who's God telling to talk to Moses? Or sorry, Pharaoh, I just gave you the answer. <laughs> Moses, <laughs> nicely done, right? That was a freebie, you're welcome. He says, go to Pharaoh. Go to the guy who's been oppressing this entire nation. And he says, thus says the Lord, this is the word of God, Israel is my what? Firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. In other words, this nation, this people is the people that I have adopted to whom I'm going to bring redemption and reconciliation to all the world, and you have put them into captivity. You have put them into slavery. And then he says this, and I say to you, let my son go, so for what? That he may serve me. Interesting. And so the first concept we have of God in the Scripture is the story of literally slaves becoming what? Slaves becoming sons. Isn't that a beautiful Is that not what we talked about last week? Right? Is that not part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God brings us from slavery to sin and death and He adopts us into sons in the family of God? Well, this starts, this narrative starts in Exodus. 
and it prepares this way for Jesus. So God comes and He says, let my people go that they may serve me. In other words, He not just calls them to Himself in a relationship, but He calls them for a purpose, doesn't He? And now later on in Exodus as well, God begins to define that purpose. And He says this, He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, in other words, that I have pursued you as a people, I have made covenant with you, if you return that relationship with me and covenant with me, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. In other words, you will be a people gathered for my Uh, for my sake. And it says, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Isn't that interesting? So God is saying, you as a people, I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to adopt you into my family so that you can function as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, now you become a nation, a people group that is unlike any other people and nation group in the world. Because in every other nation throughout history, what is the only thing we've seen? Violence, war, oppression, injustice, all these things. And God says, no, my people are supposed to give a different vision for what humanity looks like. And you're all supposed to be priests. You're all supposed to bring the presence of God. And you're all supposed to be a holy nation, a set-apart nation. And so that's the story in Exodus. Now, there's much more I could say here, but I want to jump now to the New Testament context because Jesus brings up something extremely similar, and we even see this in the writings of Peter. And so Jesus, coming onto the scene, He's the fulfillment of the story of Israel. He's the fulfillment of everything that God was doing throughout history. And Jesus says to them, peace be with you, for as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so Jesus is saying, just as I have come with a mission to bring redemption and reconciliation and salvation, this is the mission that God has sent me on. Now you as the people, as children of God, are also sent with the same mission. And guess what Peter does to do to define this mission of the people of God? Anyone guess where I'm going to go next in Scripture? 1 Peter 2.9. And what does Peter say? Peter literally quotes the Exodus story to give us a vision of what the church is supposed to be. He quotes the very story how we're supposed to be defined as the people of God. So he says, but you are what? You are a chosen race. In other words, you're a set-apart people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Is that not the same thing as Exodus 19? It's literally a quotation. It's literally Peter saying, this is the story of slaves becoming sons so that they can serve God. And Peter is saying the same is the exact same truth for the church. You are slaves to sin. You are slaves to yourselves. Now you've become adopted into the family of God so that you can serve the purposes of God. 
by being a people that give a vision of justice and mercy and grace and righteousness. This is what permeates the calling of the people of God, and this is how he defines it, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what he's saying is when you look around the world, it's so easy to see darkness. And I love the way that Mark put it in his prayer time. It's in today's culture and world, it seems like all the issues popping up, it's like whack-a-mole, right? There's all these issues popping up in our culture and our world around us where we see all this great injustice and this hardship and these trials, whether it be politically or even in Afghanistan right now or even wildfires. And there's all these issues that we could be worried about and, and be overwhelmed by. And there's just so many things coming at us. And yet, Peter says, you know what? You as the church don't have a calling to live lives of worry and anxiety. You don't have a calling to simply live in the darkness anymore. You don't have a calling to be overwhelmed by the evil of this world, but you have actually been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light of grace. And so this is the the concept that we are filled with and astonished by what Scripture has given us, what the, the name of calling God Father has given us it is not just this place of secure identity. It's not just this place of status now and our adoption as children of God, but it's actually this calling to the mission of God. And so when we call God Father, we're, we're daring to impersonate Jesus in the sense that we are now allowing ourselves to be incorporated into the mission of God. I mean, who here has ever heard of the concept of family values before? Where you, your family has values and then when you come into the family, you're supposed to share those values. And it's the same mentality when we're part of the family of God is now that we are children of God, we're supposed to have the heart of God. We're supposed to have the calling of God that He's placed before us. We're supposed to pursue the things that God wants us to pursue. And so now we become messengers of this beautiful reality of the kingdom of God. And so let me frame it in this way then. I I find this is a great way to frame themes and theologies and understandings of God. And this is by Jeff Vanderstelt. It's not that original, but it's a good framework for us to understand. And so how we understand and identify ourselves and our calling is to emulate who? If we are children of God, who are we supposed to emulate? Our Father. I mean, so much of Scripture is talking about living in Christ's likeness. In other words, we reflect the character of God. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He shows us what the character of God is like and who are we called to be. And so we can walk along these categories then where we can say God's being. So what is the aspect of God's being that we have been studying for the last few weeks? That God is Father. Okay, so if God is Father, what is the implication for what He is doing then? How has God acted as Father? More recap here. He treats us as sons, no longer slaves, but sons. What else? He provides for us, right? 
But what are the themes we've been talking about? He adopts us into the family. He allows us to be co-heirs with Christ, right? This is how God has been doing and acting. Now, how does that change our perspective then? Well, now our being then in light of who God is and what He has done, how does that change us and identify us now? We are firstborn sons of God, right? We are adopted children of God. Now, we can stop there, and that's often where we stop in talking about God as Father, which is our being now and our identity. But now the next step that we often miss out on, well, how does that change our doing? If this is who we are, how does it change our doing? See, we need to realize that we are who we are because of what Jesus has done and is doing. And so our being comes out of His doing, but even more so then, our doing proceeds from the being of Christ. Therefore, our doing is now completely wrapped up in our identity. And if our doing then is now based on the missional Father heart of God, that means that our doing is called to be sent on mission, just as Jesus was sent on mission. And so Father, calling God Father, has just as much to do with the calling of His mission as it has to do with everything else. Because if mission defines the heart of God, then mission must also define our life and our understanding. And so how do do we play this out? What is the implication for us then? It means that now we have a new identity that we function out of by calling God Father. It means that not only are we adopted, it means not only are we loved, not only are we co-heirs with Christ, but now to call God Father is mean we are sent missionaries. We are sent on mission with God. So who here has ever identified themselves as a missionary before? Yeah, let's talk. Who here has identified themselves as a missionary? Yeah, a couple of you, right? Now, here's the calling, and this is where it's so important for us to understand, is that by definition, to be a child of God means that you are a missionary. That makes sense? See, we often have this concept of missions as being overseas or somewhere out there, and, and, and that's a beautiful thing, too, when we, when we send people on missions to various assignments across the world. That's a beautiful thing. But guess what? Each and every one of us as the church, a core part of our identity is to be a people on mission. We are all called to proclaim the excellencies of God bringing us from darkness to light, as Peter said. Just as Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Guess what? That's the church. That's the people of God. We haven't just been adopted by the Father so we can hang out in our status. We've been adopted for a purpose so that we can be sent on mission. See, I remember when we first came here, um, and a beautiful thing about the culture of our church is, who knows, what percentage do we give of, of our income 
for global missions? Does anyone know? Yeah, at least 20%, right? Which means that all of our generosity together, we're sending that across the world so that people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and that's a beautiful thing. But I remember when I first got here and we were talking about budget and stuff, and I said, well, how much of our budget is spent on reaching the community? <laughs> and get, do we have any budget set aside for that? No, and part of that's because, and that's not just us as a local church. I mean, we're talking about the North American church right here, is we have lost sight that each and every one of us are on mission for the purposes of God. So identity of a child of God is, yes, something to be celebrated, something to be held on to, a gift that we receive, but at the same time, God is sending us on mission to accomplish His purposes for His glory, for His kingdom. And so as we, as we start talking more about Father, I really want to make sure that we have this concept because... Even when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and I hope that's a habit, a spiritual formation habit you guys have often in your life, of praying the Lord's Prayer. But even when we pray, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, what's the very next thing we're called to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now guess what? Does that mean we just say, you know what, God, I'm praying this prayer, go do it, Right? Is that the calling we have? No, when we pray, what's its purpose? It's to transform us. And so we pray that way because what do we lose sight of? We lose sight of the kingdom of God. We lose sight of God's purposes. We lose sight of God's mission. We lose sight of what He's trying to accomplish for righteousness and justice and mercy in this world. And yet the prayer, the purpose of it is to call us to those things. Knowing that one day God is making all things right and all things new, but He has called us to join Him in that mission as His people so that we can serve His purposes. So even when you pray that prayer, it's, it's this prayer of revolution for God to disrupt your own life. It's not a prayer saying, God, go do these things. It's saying, God, how are you calling me to work with you in these things? And that's a prayer of disruption. And so to God, call God Father disrupts everything about our life. It upends everything to the purposes that now we share the heart of God. And so this is what it means to call God Father. Now I'm going to close this in prayer. Please bow with me. Gracious Father, Lord, we sit in the joy of knowing you as Father. And I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know you as Father, who doesn't know you as God, that you would just reach out to them and that they would know their Creator. And that they would seek after you and find you and be adopted into your family so that they can experience the abundance of life and joy and peace that it means to be part of your family. And Lord, we confess as well that for oh, those of us who have called you Father and prayed to you as Father and related to you as Father for so many years and yet have neglected how our identity transforms into action, how our being 
transforms into doing. Lord, we serve you as agents of your missions, not because you have forced us, not because you have manipulated us, but simply because you have loved us and called us to a greater purpose. And Lord, we want to share in what you're doing in this world. And so I pray for each and every one of us that you would just reveal to us the heart of your mission, the heart of what it means to seek and save those who are lost, the heart of what it means to bring redemption and healing to brokenness, part of what it means to bring justice to injustice, part of what it means to offer grace and forgiveness. Lord, transform us for your purposes so that your kingdom would come here in our town, in our lives, in our community, that it would come here just as it is in heaven, bringing a perfect peace, bringing a wholeness, bringing love and generosity so that those around us, those who are living in darkness, those who are caught up in sin and evil and hardship and suffering and pain, Lord, that they would see the excellencies of the light of Jesus. So we pray that even from here this morning, even as we cry out to you, Father, in worship, that you would send us to be agents of your kingdom to be children who share the family values of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, to engage the lost world with the hope of your gospel. Empower us by your Spirit, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Amen.